0: Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning. Um, My name is Vanessa Lucius, and I work with the artists here at Awaken, and it's my pleasure and privilege to welcome you to our gathering. We are beginning a new series today for Advent, the season that leads up to Christmas, Advent is a time for reflection, renewal, preparation, and, like Christmas, it's also really complicated for a lot of people. We often misunderstand it to be all about joy, and we can struggle to find a place for our lament or our doubts. But Advent means coming. It's a time about waiting, waiting for something to come, and we don't always know when or what. It's a time to get in touch with the tender places in our lives and with our deepest longings. If you've been here before, I hope you know, and if you're new, let me reassure you that it's all welcome here. Just like the video talked about. Your joys, that we can come around and rejoice with you, and your doubts and your grief and your longing. Um, this is always true, but especially at Advent, I want to emphasize it. We'll see you later in the sermon with Zechariah. One of the central stories of christmas begins with deep longing and sorrow thankfully it never disqualifies us from god working in us and through us i'd like to offer this poem of longing in advent as our call to worship today advent by enuma akora a contemporary nigerian american author i want to find my place i want to find my place amongst the people of advent But I can't quite decide who I am. I want to be pregnant with God, but it takes such a toll on the body. I've given birth to things before, and labor is hard and untimely. I want to welcome angels and say yes to anything. But if I saw an angel, I'd hold him hostage. Send a ransom note of questions demanding answers of God. I want to cheer blessings from the sidelines with a belly growing with prophecies And have friends and strangers alike take hope. Because God has a season for those whose seasons have passed. I want to put my trust in dreams. And in the words of the ones I love. To believe that God is as close as the one who would share my bed. But mostly, mostly, I want a break. I want a break from being the one who mostly falls silent in the presence of all that's holy. I want a break from being the one who loses her words in disbelief, terrified by claims of joy and gladness. I want a break from being the one who is unable to believe that prayers are actually answered.
1: If you want to make your way back to your seats, that would be fantastic. All right. Um, Welcome everyone, glad you are with us My name is Micah, I'm one of the pastors here at Awaken Uh, We'd love to know if you're new that you were here So in the seat pockets in front of you Or you can go to our website, awakenwestseventh.com There is a place where you can click an I'm new button there Those will come to us and somebody from our team will reach out And invite you to a beverage of your choice You can get to know us, we can get to know you a little bit Um, If you have tithes or offerings that you brought this morning for worship or those cards you fill out There are black boxes at each of the exits. There's a bunch of different ways you can give online as well Uh, Those proceeds of course make the life of this church happen. So thank you for those. We're grateful for them A couple things we want to let you know about that are happening uh, The first of which is there is a, uh, a clothing drive that we're doing this month in the month of November for walking with a purpose Uh, Some of you if you've been around a little bit there is a organization called walking with a purpose that serves the unhoused population in st. Paul Um, Our garden proceeds this last summer went to that and so uh, we're going to continue that support And if you have clothes that you can bring for that uh, There's a list at the back in the discover awaken booth There's also a list in the awaken weekly that goes out every week and those can uh, you can drop off at the discover Awaken booth, which evidently some of you already have so thank you. It's wonderful um, there is also uh, tomorrow morning a breakfast called Mondays with Micah. So I've just hosted uh, breakfast every couple weeks for the men of Awaken. That's happening at Turtle Bread in the Longfellow neighborhood tomorrow in Minneapolis. So there's multiple turtle breads. Do not go to Linden Hills or you will. Well, you can. You can if you want. You won't find me there um, if you want to find me. I will be at Longfellow. So that's at 7 a.m. Also, the Christmas Choir is happening again this year. Very excited about that. Very excited about that. Hallie and Michelle Whalen are going to head that up. So uh, if you're interested in being a part of the Christmas Choir, uh, the rehearsal dates are behind me, and uh, that, of course, is for Christmas Eve, of which we have two gatherings at 2 and 4. So if you're interested in that, you can connect with Hallie about that. Sound good? For any of you who maybe uh, know anything about the church calendar and you thought to yourself, today is not the beginning of Advent, Micah. Did somebody not get the memo here? We know, we know that today is not the beginning of Advent. That officially begins the first Sunday in December this year. It's normally in November, which is part of the reason why we're taking a little liberty in extending the Advent-ish season. You know, if Home Depot can put out Christmas stuff at, before Halloween, we can start you know advent-ish a little earlier, right? Uh, we'll do an official Advent kickoff. Um, but yeah, uh, if you don't know, the church calendar begins in Advent, and that is normally four Sundays before Christmas, and then Christmas Eve is typically not a Sunday. This year it happens to fall on Sunday, so there's really only four Sundays of Advent, or four events during Advent, which we felt like we kind of wanted more of. So Um, we will, we're going to extend it a little bit and we're going to be in a series about the journeys of those around the Christmas story. So those people, characters who are adjacent to in the gospels of Matthew and in Luke who make journeys towards this date we call Christmas. In the spirit of that, I was remembering when I was young and, uh, my four brothers and I, one of our highlights in the holiday season was going to aunt Sandy's house and uncle Jerry's house, which was on the old Valleywood golf course in Apple Valley. Anybody know where that is? Yeah. Um, when I was really young, I thought that was like Iowa. Uh, you know, it was a long ways away. I remember falling asleep in the station wagon on the, way, on the way back from that one. You know, the station wagon with the wood panels and the whole bit, it was, it was real. The Witham family, you can kind of picture us. But we thought it was cool because it had like touch button um, temperature control. And it was like the coolest car in the world. It was not. And it also had one of those, you know, the big swinging gates in the back that you could like do some serious damage with. If you got caught in that, and then the seat in the back faced that way, that's like a recipe for car sickness as an adult. It's like a terrible idea. I would never in a million years want to get stuck in that seat. But I was many times, and I fell asleep in it, on our way home from Sandy and Jerry's house, where we would make Christmas cookies. Uh, it It was just like highlight, anticipated moment of our Christmas season, they, uh, they had at their house uh, on the golf course a very large hill outside of the way which uh, we would take their toboggan down. You guys know the old school toboggans, the wood ones? They're like 12 feet long. You could fit all five of us on it, and God forbid if you got in the way of that when we got started because it was like serious momentum. I looked up toboggans to buy them. They are insanely expensive, you guys. If you ever see one at a thrift store or somewhere, get it. So we would take the toboggan, and they had uh, those, the, the Christmas tree lights that like, had the bubbles in them. Do you remember? They were glass, and they were very hot. Why would anyone put those on a Christmas tree? That's like a terrible idea. They were so beautiful, though. We loved them. And then, and then it was Dukes of Hazard. We would watch the Dukes of Hazard on this event. I don't know why that was connected to this, but inevitably, we would end up watching the Dukes of Hazard. And it was this fabled experience that we had as kids growing, growing up. And, you know, now as adults, we take our kids on Christmas trips every other year or so. We go to California, where Laura's family's from. And you probably have some trip, some journey that you took as a family around the holiday season, whether it was Thanksgiving or Christmas. And so we're going to spend some time with these people in the the Scriptures who take a journey. Uh, They are rich. They are poor. They are young and old. They're men and women, sort of the gamut of people who spend some time making their way towards this scene in Bethlehem that we'll celebrate in a few weeks, about seven to be exact. So this morning, we'll start in Luke's Gospel, chapter one, with the story of Zechariah, who is the father of John the Baptist. So I'd invite you to stand in body or in spirit for the reading of the word, and Bethany will read this passage starting in chapter five of Luke.
2: In the time of Herod, king of Judea, There was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, "'Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord.'" The angel said to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happened because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy.
1: Pray with me if you would. God, this morning as we gather in this space um, and as we turn our attention to this old, old story, it's my hope and my prayer that you would in some way uh, make it new and fresh. Uh, Make it alive for us, this community of believers who are trying to follow in the way of Jesus. Um, Remind us of who you are and who we are and invite us deeper and further into your Your presence, God, I pray, in the strong name of Christ and by the power of the Spirit, the church said together, amen, amen. You may be seated. Such a fun story. I was talking with our confirmation students on Wednesday, and we were talking about the Bible and how complicated it is at times and how confusing it might be at times, and someone said, like, what's, if I were going to start reading the Bible, somebody said, one of the kids was like, I've started reading the Bible so many times, and I've read Genesis 1, like, A 100 million times and never get past like genesis 12 they just keep starting over on genesis so they they know that part really well but i said if you were going to start reading any book of the bible i would recommend you read luke i love luke as a storyteller he's um he's doing a lot of things but one of the things he's trying to do is connect you the reader to the story of israel and i would say that uh in some ways for luke jesus is true israel um even right out of the gate, right, you remember uh, he sort of hints and whispers at these old stories that they would have known about from Genesis 12. Abraham and Sarai, this old couple who tried to have a, a child who was promised a child but weren't able to conceive, about, about Elkanah and Hannah in 1 Samuel, who, again, older in age and wanted a child and weren't able to conceive. The impossible dream. And then, of course, we find Zechariah and Elizabeth. Um, so Luke is trying to tell you, remind you, that in Jesus... What Israel was intended to be, this blessing for the world, for the sake of the nations, through sacrificial love, Jesus takes that upon himself, and in Jesus, Israel's story is brought to full term, is one of the things Luke is trying to do. As we begin this passage, he gives a little bit of the backstory about these two characters, Zechariah and Elizabeth. In verse 5, we find out that they are both from the tribe of Levi, or from the line of Aaron. If you don't know the Old Testament, or Old Testament history, there was a guy named Jacob, he had 12 sons. Those 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. One of them are the Levites. And that group of people, that family alone, were the ones who would serve in the temple. They were the clergy of Israel, as it were. They would come to the temple and they would offer, read Torah, and they would do the ceremonial washings and, and the sacrifices and burn the incense in the altar and all the things that would happen in worship. It was this one group of people. So Luke says, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth are both from this line. They're like, they're, uh, and then he says in verse 6 that they're blameless and pure. They walk before the Lord. And yet, in verse 7, they were unable to have children. They did everything right. They were from the right family, the right side, you know. Uh, and yet they still had this struggle. Which I think is a great lesson for us in faith. It's not a formula that you just plug into a computer and out spits the good things that we think God wants to give. That there's struggle and wrestling, which is part of the why this book is so amazing. Um, a little background on Zachariah, right? He's a priest from the line of Aaron. Um, but you think about the people who would have served in the temple, and I, I want us to, to try to enter into the story a little bit. These folks didn't all live in Jerusalem, which is where the temple was. They would have, some would have lived there for sure, but many of them lived outside of Jerusalem in the villages and towns nearby. Think Bethlehem. a little five-mile jaunt to the south. And so they would have made their way up to the temple, and every priest has, uh, they're essentially given a, um, two, two times of service in the year. So twice during the year, they would come to the temple for one week at a time, and they would serve the, church, the, 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 the people. Wouldn't that be a great gig if you were a pastor? Wow. Huh, interesting. Uh, Either way, they would come twice a year for their service in the temple, right? And they would be sort of uh, drawn or they would cast lots, as it were. They they would divvy up the responsibilities in the temple. One of them is the burning of incense in the temple itself. So this is what Zechariah is doing on this particular day. Just to give you a little sense of where we are, right? This is the, the second temple in Israel. Herod would have built this. Uh, parts of it are still there, which you can see uh, to to date. It's quite amazing. But on the right hand side, there's like the outer court where the women would have stayed and where the Gentiles, the non Jewish people, would have been. And then through that first kind of divider is the, 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 the court of the, of the Israelites where the temple worship would have happened, where the sacrifices would have been given. So, right when you enter that, there would have been a large altar where they would have done the, sacri- the sacrifices in the temple. There's a, a laver or a wa- wash basin where you do ceremonial washing. And then inside of that, right, it's like graduated sort of levels of importance. There was the holy place. In the holy place, there were three things, uh, which I'll show you in a minute. And then inside of that, there was the holy of holies, where Harrison Ford lives. <laughs> right? The, the Ark of the Covenant is kept there in the holy of holies. And in between the cherubim would, would the mercy seat, where the, the glory of God was believed to rest. So if you want to flip to that next screen... Inside the holy place, these are the three things that are there. There's, or sorry, outside's the the off the altar and the laver, and then inside you had three things. You had the table of showbread. So there's a story in the Old Testament about David and being provided provisions of bread and food. That's kind of memorialized on this table. The menorah, which is seven candles that we would call it now. Um, I guess I don't know if. If they called it that then, but either way, there's a, a lampstand that they would keep burning, you know, so you'd have to add oil to it so that it keeps going. And then there is the altar of incense right in the middle, which is right up next to, do you remember when Jesus dies and the temple is, is torn in the, in, the temp, in the, or the curtain is torn in the temple? Right there, there's a large veil, a large curtain, and then inside of that is the Holy of Holies. So next slide, if you were to look inside of the holy place, this is kind of what you'd see. showbread on the right, menorah on the left, altar of incense right there in the middle. Now the altar of incense is kind of symbolic, right? They would light this as a symbol of the prayers of the saints, which would then fill the temple with not only um, smoke but also the smell of frankincense and myrrh and spices. Of course, if you've ever been to a Catholic church, maybe you've seen this before, where the guy comes and he's like dinging that ball, and there's smoke going all over the place. Maybe some of you like hate that, and it's like a you're like, oh my gosh, I'm like seven again at my grandma's church, and I never want to go back. This is what this has. This is this is like the. Like the pinnacle of incense uh, burning in the Christian church today. This is in the cathedral at Santiago, which I was just in. What you're about to see is the largest thurible, which is what this thing's called, in the entire world. You guys, this was wild. Play that if you would. So the guys in the front, up up in the middle there, are like putting the incense in the, the censer or the thurible. And then there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys, seven priests. That's what, that's what they drew. That's what their, their job was today. And their job is to make sure that thing doesn't hit anybody, right? And somebody gives it a little push. Think of the swings on the playground now. And imagine, like, gaining leverage and momentum by pulling on the swings. This is what they're about to do. So they start yanking on this rope, and this thing gets moving. Watch, wait for it. Imagine like the cathedral here is 40, 45 feet tall. This is like 60 feet up in the air. Not to mention the guy singing opera, right? <laughs> and we're just getting started. Imagine being, imagine being like in the front row with that thing coming at you. 50 miles an hour, they say, it, 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 it goes. And these guys came to the temple today and they're like, yes, I get to do pull on the rope. It's going to be awesome. Wow. So next week, you guys, we're going to install one of these. <laughs> I've talked to the insurance company, and they are going to make us... Can you imagine what the insurance policy, is, the policy on that thing? Like, if that thing cuts loose, we have a major problem on our hands. All joking aside, that is the incense burning in the temple. And that's what Zachariah is up to today. He's drawn that lot to go into the temple... And to light the incense which will fill the temple with glory, fill the temple with the smoke and the prayers of the people. And while he's doing that, an angel appears before him between the showbread and him at the temple on his right and has a message for him. And of course, we know how the story goes. It's the story of, or it's, his name is Gabriel. And he says, I have a message for you that you will give, your, your wife will give birth to a son who will go in the spirit of Elijah, one of the greatest prophets the nation has ever known. And he will not only just be a son, but he will be of like, great significance and import and do amazing things in the story of God. And of course, Zechariah can't believe what he's hearing because they've been praying about this and it's not happening. He's very old and he says, how can I be sure of this? Which is a great question, right? And Gabriel says, dude, I, I sit at the right hand of God. I've been sent here to tell you that. That's how you know. And in in, in light of your your response, for the next nine months, 40 weeks, you will be silent until the birth of the son. And actually, Elizabeth names the son, names the child, until he pulls out the Etch-A-Sketch and says, Yes, his name is John, you know, puts it up. And then his tongue is loosed, and he pens what we know as Zachariah's song, which follows in Luke chapter 2. The Nunc Dimittis, one of the canticles of Luke's gospel. So, what I want to do this morning is I want to sit with two things that I noticed in this passage that I think are beautiful um, reminders as well as uh, maybe an inciting sort of uh, mental exercise that I'd love for us to have. And then I want to close with just a reminder. Uh, the first thing I want to notice in this passage, and I would say it this way, that the ordinary the extraordinary is always amidst the ordinary. Remember, right? Try to imagine you're in this story. You're Zechariah. From as long as you can remember, as, uh, from when you were of age, which would have been young, you have been training to, and then you have been actually doing this job at the temple. And now you are very, very old. You have had a long career as a priest in the temple. This is just what you do. You would have gone to Israel, or Jerusalem, hundreds, maybe thousands of times. It's like driving down 94, you know, you just have done it. I've lived here all my life. It's and, it, and it's ordinary, and even the temple, which was extraordinary, becomes ordinary, right? When you when you when you live near and you're around something that's special and beautiful and extraordinary, it becomes blase. It's just a part of the landscape for you, right? People drive to Minnesota to come and see the North Shore, and we're like, that's ah, cool, right? Or people, you know, travel to to Santiago to see this chapel, and the people that live there are like, gosh, the tourists, are just crazy around here. It's ordinary for them. Zachariah is doing what's absolutely ordinary for him. He's doing what he's done his entire life. And it's in that moment, it's in those moments that we meet the presence of the divine. I think we have this this ability to sort of put people up on pedestals. We build them altars and we put them up there and then we say things like, wow, like when they rise to power or prominence or something special happens to them, we sort of make them elite and untouchable and out of reach. And I want to remind you that like that's actually not how it works. You don't like, uh, like rise to power or become prominent and then God invites speaks is is present no it, it happens amidst and among the ordinary daily life that you live when moses when a bush started on fire in front of moses he was out doing what he does every single day he'd probably relieved himself near that bush just yesterday <laughs> do you know what i'm saying you, are you getting what i what i mean here did you wake up this morning and know that do you remember that that's true You're going to go home and you're going to change the 10,000th diaper. And it's in that kind of moment, the ordinary, mundane moments of our life, that this God meets us. That's the wonder of this story. It's the wonder of Zachariah's life. The other thing I noticed in this is what the angel says. He says, Zachariah, my name is Gabriel. Do not be afraid. And then your prayer has been heard. Did you catch that? How old is this guy? Really old. How long do you think he and Elizabeth have been praying that prayer? How many tears do you think have been shed with that prayer? How many tables have been pounded with the indignation, the unfairness of this reality that they live? I don't know a lot about prayer. That might not be very comforting for you since I'm one of the pastors here. I have way more questions than I do answers about prayer. I think it's one of the most bizarre things, and I I really don't, I, I can't, people say, like, you should preach about prayer more often, and I'm like, I don't know what to say. One of the things I do know is that in this story, we are, it is made clear that God hears the cry of those who offer that. God is not distant, deaf, like uninterested and not listening somewhere off in the distance. The Exodus story begins in Exodus chapter 3 with God hears the cry of the oppressed and answers and responds and moves over and over and over and over again. This God is shown to be one who is present and listening. So whatever prayer it is that you've offered, a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand times, I want to encourage you this morning, keep praying it. Because I believe that God hears that. I also know and believe that prayer actually does. Changes us. My wife's in this holistic uh, health master's program, and I've read some of this before. But even some of the stuff that she's learning in this program, like people who have faith and belief in something greater than themselves, have a greater possibility, and and like statistically, are healed more. Prayer and faith actually does something in us. Like scientifically, it's proven. So even if you have as many questions as I do, which I'm guessing you don't, about prayer, I want to just remind you and encourage you to keep praying those prayers. I believe God hears them. They do not go unheard. And they actually do change us. So we begin with an ordinary moment in an ordinary guy's life where an extraordinary thing happens because that's just kind of how it works. I want to remind you of that this morning. The second thing I want to notice this morning is... um, Well, what would I even say? Uh, The silencing of men. Y'all ready for this? I see a lot of ladies just like grinning ear to ear. Oh, he's doing it. He's going there. Good for you, Micah. Uh, I'm watching election coverage the other night on my news station of choice and I am taken by surprise when I see four women commentating on the election, no men on the panel. Why was that surprising to me? Because that never happens in our world. I'm not telling you anything new, right? Uh, If you were to go to the global summit with all the leaders of all the nations and all the people of all the world, what you would find is mostly a sea of men. Yes? Okay, let's be honest about that. I don't think we have any idea how big of a deal it is to grasp, like, this moment in these scriptures. We're talking about the ancient world, where if you think our world is bad, like, we've made a lot of progress. There's much more to be made, and I celebrate that which has and want to. Like, cheer on that which needs to be made. But, like, if you were to rewind 2,000 years, I don't think we can wrap our minds around how big of a deal it is. Like, who has all the power in the ancient Jewish culture? Men. Who has the religious power? Men. Who makes the decisions for a family? Men. Who inherits things? Men. Who gets to decide the fate of their children and especially their daughters? Men. Right? Like, the voice of the man is the most powerful thing. And for that to be taken, like only, only like Zachariah's actual physical body as a male in that culture, like you can't take anything more powerful. And so the man with the power, the man with the voice, the man who's at the center of almost everything is silenced, is given a back seat, is told to sit down for a bit, and actually inhibited from speaking. In a world, a culture, a religious landscape where men have been the ones with the voice, it's Elizabeth who plays the... the, 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 the starring role. It's Elizabeth whose voice is heard. It's Elizabeth who names the child. It's Zachariah who can only confirm what his wife has already spoken into being, which he had a hard time believing. Are you catching all this that's happening here? So I want to just pause for a moment and just ask a few questions. What would be born in us who take up much space What would be born in us if we took up less space? If we talked less, listened more, supported and served? What would be born in us? What would be born in our faith communities? What would be be born in women? If men were quiet for a bit. So to the men of Awaken, maybe you've heard a message about what it means to be a man of faith. And I want to maybe offer uh, another lens for you to look through. And that is, for us who've lived in a world which has privileged our bodies and voices, maybe it would be good for us to take a little bit of a backseat at times. I'm not saying that we should be quiet forever, right? All voices matter. But when some voices have been diminished and others have been uplifted, we should maybe try to be a, pay attention to that. Do you see the, the, what I'm saying about things mattering? What would be born in us? What would be born in our faith communities? I'm fac- I would be fascinated to know what would be born in the women among us. I hope that you're uncomfortable right now. I- I- I've planned for this moment. I've been thinking about it for a while. I think it's a really important one. We talk about uh, the value of male and female, that in God, everything that's beautiful and right and good about femininity exists in God. Everything that's good and right about masculinity exists in God. God is not male or female. God does not have genitalia. And so to value and encourage and support and love and lift up all that exists as good and beautiful and true and right in God that we now manifest an image to one another that is beautiful that's the fullness of the church that's the fullness that we desperately need can I get an amen Amen. so I think a story like this is a good one for us to sit in for a bit and just be reminded of this is so bizarre in its context I don't think we I I I don't think we can get wrap our minds around how big of a deal that is So let me me turn towards landing this plane, and I want to close with a reminder. And that is, okay, so for for those, you come to awaken, and maybe you have more questions than you do answers. And for us, many of us, who have more furniture outside of the house of faith than we do inside of the house of faith, I want to remind us of a couple of things. Well, just one in particular, and that is the wonder of the gospel. The absolute wonder of the good news the greek word which we get the word evangelical or evangelist from it means good news the wonder of this story like this story in the bible which culminates and is like the pinnacle of is this christmas story that we're about to celebrate that we're moving towards is in a story of like of epic proportion. I would argue that every story you've ever heard that you've ever resonated in your soul comes from and gets its inspiration from this story. Like, this is a story about the the lowly being lifted up and the humble, or the humble being, uh, the proud being overshadowed by the humble. It's a story about the outcast and the marginalized not only getting into the party, but then giving a seat of honor at the party, right? It's a story about... The grief-stricken and the broken-hearted being bound up and healed and put back together and comforted. It's a story about the hungry being fed and the, the imprisoned being liberated. It's a story about the impossible happening over and over and over and over again. It's a story about justice for the oppressed. It's a story about slaves being liberated and drunks being clean and those without homes being welcomed in around the fire. It's a story about shepherds and teenage girls welcoming the very divine presence into the world. Friends, this is a story that you can't even believe. It's so out of this world. All the categories, all the metrics, all the ways that we measure, this story is the opposite of that. Do you remember Rudy, the movie? You know, you're cheering for the underdog. That's the gospel. Do you remember Sam and Frodo in Lord of the Rings, right? Ordinary hobbits from the Shire who do this extraordinary thing. Why? So that they can go up and to the right, so they can get a promotion, so that they can make more money, so that they can advance in their career. No, because of love. Why does God do these things? Because God wants to get on a billboard? Because God needs more assets? No, out of love, out of love. Friends, I want to remind you of the wonder of this story. Uh, Your questions are welcome. I have probably many of the same ones, but I want to just stop or pause or close this morning reminding you of the absolute, sheer, unbelievable wonder of this story. And that it didn't just happen but that you're invited to participate in it today in your ordinary life. Let me I want to close with two quotes that get to this idea. One is from a writer, that, well they're both writers. One's from a guy named Malcolm Muggeridge. He says this, "All the great artists, poets and musicians dedicated their genius to celebrating it. The majestic cathedrals were built to enshrine it. Religious orders founded to see it. Mystics spent their lives exploring it. And for centuries it, this gospel was the driving force behind all the greatest human endeavor, the source of the brightest and most far-reaching hopes ever to be understood by the human will. It's easy to lose sight of it in the world that we live in, that this story is actually the inspiration for all of those things. It's gotten co-opted and misused and misinterpreted, yes, and yet, I would argue there is no better story to orient your life around. Frederick Buechner writes about it this way. He says, it is a world of magic And mystery of deep darkness and flickering starlight. It is a world where terrible things happen and wonderful things too. It is a world where goodness is pitted against evil, love against hate, order against chaos. That is the fairy tale of the gospel, with, of course, the one crucial difference from all other fairy tales, which is the claim made for it that it is true. That it not only happened once upon a time, but has kept happening ever since and is still happening the question for you this morning is do you believe that's true or are we alone is there anything out there or is there a story so wonderful so amazing so beautiful that you can wrap your life in it and find love and joy and comfort and and hope and forgiveness and justice and all the things that this story this gospel is about that it's not only for you but it's in you and you can participate in it so that my friends is really good news in my opinion and i offer it to you today to consider would you pray with me god as we gather in this place thinking about wondering considering these things that we've heard from this ancient story of extraordinary things divinely like orchestrated and inspired things happening amidst the everyday and ordinary, the mundane. Would you do it again? Would you do it in us? It's hard to believe sometimes in the world that we live in that you're still out there. But I believe that you are. And I pray that today, maybe for the first time or in a new way, we would see it, we would sense it, we would feel it and know it, and that we would say yes to it. So Holy Spirit, in this silence, we'll take cues from Zachariah and be still and listen. My friends gathered this morning, I hope and I pray, we hope and we pray whenever we gather that there would be a table that's been set, that would be set, that you would come if you choose to experience uh, a bit, a taste of the divine. And I hope and pray that that's what you've received this morning. Uh, So go with this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church gathered together said, amen. Grace and peace, friends.
0: Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com,
1: or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash
0: Community or on Twitter at Awakened Community.
1: See you next time.